Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will revisit one recently had on the future of Earth as my guests will walk you through the portfolio considerations that exist today and the implications they carry tomorrow. For the conversation today, glad to welcome back Amatia Muhadini, sustainable investing strategist for the Americas, as well as Michelle LaLiberty, thematic investing associate for the Americas, both with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Amatia, Michelle, good morning to you both. Thank you for joining us on the podcast and looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning and thank you for having us, Dan. Absolutely. So, Amatia, I recall uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you and your colleagues, Laura Kane, as well as Julia Tomei, uh, they joined us here on the podcast for an overview of the Chief Investment Office's A Future of Earth white paper. And today we are going to spend some time discussing how and where our clients may consider investing across the four key areas of focus that the Chief Investment Office identified within that white paper. So, Amantia, as a starting point, it might be helpful if you can begin by providing us with a refresher on what those four key areas of focus are. Of course. So, the report overall looks at investment ideas uh, for a more sustainable planet. And it focuses on four key chapters, as you mentioned. In each of the chapters, we outline what the challenges are, as well as we focus on the investment solutions. So, the first chapter is titled People, Health, and Communities. And it begins with an exploration of how our environment impacts our well-being. Um, you know, this includes everything from risk of disease to the risk of physical displacement to our communities as climate change is becoming, is making certain parts of the world really uninhabitable. Um, in the next three chapters, after taking this macro look, we start to explore the, the very critical resources which are heavily affected by climate change and in turn also present the biggest opportunities for innovation and investment. So those are energy, land, and water. Um, very briefly, um, and when we think of energy, uh, as, as you know, energy-related emissions account for over two-thirds of global greenhouse gas emissions. So that's uh, why we focus on this specific topic in as, as, as a distinct chapter where we look for opportunities to shift our energy mix. The next is land. As I mentioned, um, land is critical because it's the second largest uh, source of emissions globally. And it's estimated also that about uh, 21 to 37 percent of total emissions are directly attributable to the food system specifically. So another part, uh, a system that is very critical to our well-being and growth. And then finally, water, the last chapter, explores the, the, the topic of water scarcity and how digital solutions can help to address water scarcity, recognizing that water is also critical to agriculture and how, to our overall well-being as well. Thank you, Amatia, for that refresher. So now that we have that backdrop, I know the premise of today's conversation is how can we as investors participate in these focus areas? So with that, let's maybe take them in order, get a bit more granular, start starting Amantia with people, health, and communities. So how can our clients invest in order to help reduce emissions and combat climate-linked disease? So as, as 
uh, I mentioned earlier, um, our planet and our health, as well as the well-being of our communities, are so closely linked. And we see this in, in that um, air pollution, for example, is the largest environmentally linked uh, cause of, of um, health problems, as well as we're seeing um, that climate change-induced uh, rising temperatures may result in increased disease and, and potential loss of life, and, and somewhat less critically, but also important, loss of productivity in certain regions of the world, as well as uh, as we're seeing this shifting climate are resulting in increased climate migration in parts of the world. And all of this is all more acutely felt, unfortunately, by more vulnerable communities. So given all of this, we see solutions for the future across a few different areas. First, we think that mitigation is really very much the first step in thinking about the set of solutions. And here, um, uh, power generation, as we know, is the largest contributor to, to air pollution. Um, so we think that transitioning to a cleaner energy mix will help combat these issues. And really, the energy mix question is, is what we discuss in the next chapter, as I mentioned. Um, however, beyond this, we also, the, the shifting of the energy mix, we think that there are opportunities for investors across companies broadly which have exposure to green technologies or green tech uh, and can help address and some of the, the problems of climate change and help move towards mitigation. So these companies would include those related to renewable energy, but also companies associated with smart mobility, for example, or smart infrastructure. Secondly, we think that retreating the climate health, uh, climate related, excuse me, health conditions that, uh, that we're seeing today can also help to improve and potentially save lives. So, um, diseases such as cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, or even cancer have been associated with, um, uh, having increased instances as a result of climate change. So therefore, we see great opportunities for growth in areas such as oncology, health technology or uh, among the, the development of respiratory and cardiac drugs and medical devices, which we think present long, long-term opportunities and also help to, to address some of these issues that we just mentioned. Um, third, we think that reducing the energy intensity of cities can also help to bring down the heat in these cities and therefore mitigate some of these issues. And that's where we see opportunities for investment in uh, engineering or architectural companies that will devise innovations to help address some of these challenges. One thing to note here is that a number of the of these green architecture companies do remain private, but it's very much an area that we, we are keeping an eye on. And finally, um, while I mentioned many thematic areas of investment, for investors who are ESG-oriented and who are looking across their portfolios, we also see opportunities broadly in companies which are managing their own carbon footprint and are reducing their uh, greenhouse gas emissions, so therefore are part of this global solution, as well as companies which actively address working conditions for their employees um, and as well as the physical risks of climate change to their operations. So I think all of these types of companies will be likely better positioned and present opportunities as, as our planet continues to change. Finally, on the fixed income side, we also see opportunities around green bonds or sustainable municipal bonds. Um, again, as we think for investors who are looking to diversify their portfolio across these traditional asset classes while also being um, 
conscious and aware of uh, these global challenges related to climate change. Thank you for that, Amantia. So maybe now we can shift over to the thematic side of things. So, Michelle, specific to energy with the energy transition underway, I know this is a topic that has been covered here on the podcast on quite a few occasions, but specific to this piece within the chapter on energy, what kinds of opportunities were highlighted that exist for investors today? Thanks, Dan. So when we think about the energy transition and how it's going to evolve in the years ahead, there's really three things that are important to consider in this transition. Number one is meeting demand that really looks set to continue to increase. Uh, Number two, doing so while also lowering emissions. Uh, And three, maintaining reliability almost at the same time. So for investors, there's two ways uh, really to approach this. Number one is by tapping into the opportunity that exists in solutions providers. And then number two, uh, I mentioned that we're going to need to meet demand, right? So this transition is going to take time. uh, And as a result, investors can take a more holistic approach by incorporating uh, climate considerations at the portfolio level and assessing company operations and some of those more traditional energy companies. So they can consider sustainability in the operations. Is the company, uh, you know, managing their carbon footprint better than peers? Or are they particularly forward thinking and ahead of this transition? But in that first bucket, though, uh, the solutions providers, More specifically, we see opportunity in clean energy producers and grid infrastructure equipment providers, uh, as well as energy efficiency solutions, and finally, battery and storage providers, uh, fuel cells, and other transport solutions. So we expect the market share for renewable energy to rise at the expense of coal and oil, uh, the the two largest energy sources at this time. Um, That said, demand for energy broadly, as I mentioned, will likely continue to grow, um, but we do expect solar and wind to be the fastest growing uh, renewable sources of energy over the next decade. Now, in addition to decarbonizing our energy production by increasing that use of renewables, we're also going to need to improve the efficiency of how we use this energy. Uh, renewables alone is simply it's not it's not enough. Uh, it's going to take a combination of increased renewable resources, but also paired with a more optimal use of energy. And that's where energy efficiency solutions are going to play a role. So we also see uh, opportunity there, um, as well as in the transportation space, as you know, certain tools can help decarbonize our transportation. So this also just adds to our conviction uh, surrounding the opportunity in batteries and storage, uh, as well as in biofuels, fuel cells, uh, and electric vehicle powertrain components. So I'll stop there. Uh, energy is certainly a big one. I know I could go on, but I'll stop there for now and I'll turn it uh, back to you, Dan. Thank you, Michelle. Yep, it sounds like there's a lot to unpack within energy. I want to make sure we have enough time to spend a few moments covering land as well, knowing, of course, that there is a limited amount of it coupled with the fact that populations around the world are indeed growing. So, Michelle, how can investors put money to work in order to solve for food scarcity? Yeah, so actually following energy, land use is the, uh, the second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions globally. Uh, actually, the, the World Economic Forum estimates that the destruction of forests is creating almost as much greenhouse gas emissions as global road travel. Uh, so the food system does make up a good 
chunk of this, um, but I'm sure that it's not groundbreaking, right, when I say that, of course, we still need to feed more people. Uh, and in fact, we actually need to feed more and more people with less arable land to do so. Um, putting even further pressure on that system uh, is rising affluence around the world that looks likely to increase demand for meat, uh, which is land and, and water intensive as well. So as a result of all of these challenges, I mean, we do expect a number of different tools to be deployed to improve the efficiency of our food systems and of our land use. Now, the good news is agriculture is actually one of the least digitized industries. So that tells me that there's plenty of room for catch-up, right? And we break the the investment opportunity into three main areas. Uh, number one, land use monitoring and supply chain validation. Uh, number two, smart agriculture. And three, a sustainable production and consumption. That first one, a supply chain validation, um, this is where we expect a range of technological uh, data platforms to be developed across the supply chain to improve traceability, uh, to reduce waste, and increase efficiency overall. So, for example, you know, a number of companies are beginning to use blockchain uh, for traceability. Uh, drones can now be used to collect geospatial data and monitor forests. So, for example, they could detect uh, illegal activity like movement in a protected zone. That second one, smart agriculture, um, this is a segment that encompasses digital solutions to make farming uh, more efficient and less less resource intensive. So it's going to be your precision agriculture solutions. And then finally, uh, sustainable production and consumption. This third bucket relates to shifting consumer preferences and the demand shift that we expect to see uh, from a demographic shift as younger consumers become a larger cohort of consumer demand. So, for example, roughly half of millennials in the U.S. consume plant-based meat at least once a month uh, versus just 20% of the baby boomer generation. And millennials were also more likely than older generations to state uh, better for the environment as a reason for doing so. So, again, we expect uh, this consumer and, and demographic shift to change the demand for certain products and services. Uh, and overall, we, we do expect the market for, for plant-based alternatives or protein alternatives to expand by about 28% a year on average uh, over the next decade. Thank you for that, Michelle. So maybe now we can shift over to the fourth focus area, the fourth chapter, that being water, of freshwater sources to be more specific and similar to land. There are limitations when it comes to quantity. So Michelle, how might investment help to reduce waste reduction and improve distribution efficiency when it comes to freshwater? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think the fact that water is in short supply can be a bit uh, surprising or counterintuitive, right, because it seems so abundant um, on a global scale, but actually only 2.5% of the world's water is fresh water, uh, and it's unevenly distributed as well. So despite this inflexible supply that we have, demand has continued to grow, um, and we expect that to continue as you know, living standards improve uh, alongside rising affluence, um, paired with ongoing urbanization and industrialization, especially in emerging markets, um, and as well as changing supply patterns due to these climate challenges that we've been talking about today. So one thing that and stuck with me during this this report is the infrastructure piece. So even in, in developed markets, 
including right here in the U.S., uh, leakage alone can result in 10 to 30 percent of water lost. Uh, in an emerging market, some of the most extreme cases can be as high as 70 percent. So we see an opportunity inherent in these necessary infrastructure upgrades. And I also note that the recent infrastructure proposal, um, you know, of course, much remains to be seen and what can actually get get passed. Um, this had a number of incentives related to the water market, including incentives to, to upgrade and modernize drinking supplies. I had also proposed funding for PFAS, uh, PFAS testing and services. So overall, uh, we do see some of the most attractive end markets in smart water networks, as well as water automation systems and water meters. Uh, with low double-digit expected annual growth numbers. So if we think about those leakage numbers that I just uh, just gave, right, a sensor seems like a simple addition, but a sensor that can detect leakage can alert utilities to this problem much faster. And given that high uh, percentage of water loss, you know, something like that can actually be really helpful. So we do expect, uh, you know, some of the more attractive uh, growth in those uh, end markets. And then finally, we also do expect growth in wastewater treatment uh, and water engineering and consulting services. Thank you, Michelle. So as we begin to close out, let's take a quick inventory in terms of what we've covered, investment opportunities when it comes to people, health, communities, energy, land, as well as water. So I'm sure a lot of our clients listening in, they might have some follow-up questions or might want to learn more about specific implementation recommendations associated with the research within the future of Earth white papers. So, Amantia, what's some guidance for our clients listening in in terms of next steps to learn more? Thanks, Dan. Um, as much as we we do our best in these short calls to, to dive deep, um, this this report and the research really um, goes even deeper. And and my my suggestion would be for listeners to um, look up the the new report, Future of Earth, as well as contact a financial advisor to find out more about specific implementation recommendations, both uh, uh, across single securities as well as um, different package solutions, as well as ETFs as well. Thank. Thank you, Amantia. And Michelle, very actionable insight. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today to attach some thought as to how our listeners, our clients can consider investing in the future of Earth. Really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Absolutely. And again, today we have been joined by Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist for the Americas, as well as Michelle LaLiberty, Thematic Investing Associate for the Americas, both with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the publication that Amantia and Michelle have been making reference to this morning, that being the future of Earth. So for clients of UBS listening in, as always, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more or receive a copy of the Future of Earth white paper. And as Amantia indicated, please use your financial advisor as a source to learn more about the specific 
implementation ideas, stock lists, ETF lists, to learn more about those implementation ideas. Again, be sure to contact your UBS financial advisor. The top of the morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.